Well, church, family, it's a joy for us to be able to look at God's Word together today. Uh, this week has been a, a powerful week, a lot of things that are happening, and I don't know about you, but I have been glad to see some of that bleak midwinter making its way into, you know, rainy and sunny, but still midwinter and uh, enjoying some, some nicer weather at times, and really not a moment too soon. Somebody had posted this uh, on my Facebook feed, and I thought it was uh, an appropriate little caution there. Uh, winter, uh, winter advisory, make sure you're driving with cake. Uh, yeah, it's amazing what the difference one little uh, letter would make, and, and I'm not sure why driving with cake would be helpful, but I'm willing to do that, but I was almost running out of cake. So anyway, we're getting some, some good weather, and we're glad about that. Uh, other exciting things that are happening in the life of the church, we've just come through a weekend where we were able to celebrate with our church family at our annual meeting. Uh, we've had the opportunity to, to think about some forward motion, to dream some God-sized dreams uh, in this new season, and we're excited for all that God is going to do. And along with that new vision, uh, we're welcoming some newly elected leaders to our church family, and we're delighted for each one of you. Uh, we're going to do a formal introduction of them in our services next week, and uh, we'll bring a special blessing in charge to them as well. Uh, so, you know, church, we've been looking at some questions uh, in this series as we've been talking about hope initiatives. We've been talking about forward-looking questions. You know, what kind of story are you going to tell? Well, I've got a new question for you this week. Uh, the question is, does the future look bright? Does the future look bright to you? Um, I was intrigued to hear an interview in this last week with an author by the name of Ed Melillo. And um, Ed uh, Melillo wrote a book called The Butterfly Effect, and he studies the long-standing relationship between insects and humans. So I was intrigued, you know. Uh, he was speaking about the percentage of your ground coffee that is actually ground up bugs. Uh, it's a little higher percentage than perhaps you would have guessed. Uh, and then he started to report on the future of food. And he was, he was talking about some things that were intriguing to me. Did you know, for example, that there is more protein in a pound of crickets than in a pound of beef. Did you know, for example, that while beef requires a whopping 1,700 plus gallons of water and tons of acreage, that you can get the same amount of protein from a pound of crickets while only using one gallon of water and a two by two foot uh, square? Well, I started to think about that and I was starting to wonder, do I feel bright about the future? But well, when it comes to eating cricket burgers, I'm not sure that I feel really good about that. But what about things that matter for all of eternity? Uh, when I start to think about us living in a time where the hope of Christ is needed now more than ever before, when I start thinking about the potential of the church coming alive and being awake, having that shake up and wake up that we have come through in this last year, but realizing and, and embracing our hope initiatives and becoming active on mission, I gotta tell you, my heart starts to get a little bit excited for that kind of vision. And, and the future looks very bright for the opportunities that God is placing in front of us. You know, in this series, we have been dwelling on this benediction from Romans chapter 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I tend to believe that if God would light that prayer on fire in somebody's life here today, that we are going to see exciting things in the life of the church. So let me give you a little review of the, of the things we've been looking at over these last couple weeks. Last week we talked about fullness and fulfillment. I was sharing from you uh, some, some teachings from Fred Hartley, Church on Fire, the College of Prayer guys, uh, encountering the fullness of Christ in the church and then fulfilling that purpose on earth. And that is a New Testament example, everything flowing from the upper room to the nations. And, and we encourage you last week, make sure as you're embracing your hope initiative, and we're hoping that God's stirring. We're hoping that you're getting excited about, you know, God, what's my hope initiative? What are you calling me to do? Make sure that your public stage is not outdistancing your upper room. We need to have the fullness of Christ in everything we do. And uh, you're going to see that theme continue through the message today. First uh, Peter 4.10, we looked at last week, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That's the picture that we're praying. We're praying that the church would be active in all of the various ways that God has gifted you. And so we asked you last week to consider the Hope Initiatives, and we have a little webpage that we've started to highlight some of the partnerships that we have and give you opportunities where you can jump in. So we highlighted, for example, Orphan Care Alliance is one of them. Uh, you know, I, I was, I've been so inspired by these guys because the, the Center County Orphan Care Alliance, they're asking the very, the very real question, what if every church in our county, there's over a hundred of us, what if every church in our county took seriously the needs of foster care and adoption? The very real truth is there would be more than enough to care for every child and every family that was in need. That's powerful. And then not only going that, but they're recognizing that not every family is called, not every individual is called to foster or adopt, but then they're saying, look, those that are, they need support. And so they've got a whole line of ways that you could be a wraparound family and finding your ways to support that. So don't you love that? The idea that you could say, you know, if that's not my calling, I could support somebody in their calling. And so I love the vision, I love the mission that they're unfolding, that's a HOPE initiative that we want to partner with. Uh, another one that, would, that you'll see if you look at our website, uh, there is uh, the Out of the Cold ministry. We actually are going to be partnering with them directly uh, March 22nd through Easter. We're going to be using our facility to actually uh, minister and host the, the homeless population here in the State College area. And you have opportunities there as well. If you would say, hey, that, I get sort of excited about helping. You can volunteer to help host. You can volunteer to make a meal. There's ways in which you can pray. And so all of these, just we want you to find your place in the HOPE initiatives. And, and that's actually not a bad segue. When you think about us making room here, uh, not a bad segue to our title today for the message, which is Make Room for Hope. And uh, as I've been putting this message together this week and over these last several weeks as the Lord's been speaking to me, I'm excited and I'm challenged by it already. I, I, I feel this in my own life. There's, a, there's an excitement, there's a draw to the mission of Christ and, and His heartbeat and, and what He wants for us, for me, for our region. But then there's also that kind of hesitancy in my own spirit because I realize that Christ is not asking for my leftovers. He's not, when, when I talk about making, making room for hope, 
I, I realize that the hope mission of Christ is significant and it's costly and it calls me to join him in that. And so there's a part of my own heart that feels maybe what you'll feel today, some element of excitement, but also some reticence as, as we are being asked to adjust and respond. So may the Holy Spirit help us to be on track with, with him in all of the hope initiatives that he is unfolding for us. Today's message, make room for hope. If you look in Luke chapter 4, uh, this is a passage that I've preached on before, uh, I've studied many times. I love this uh, portion of Scripture because it is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry on the earth. And you can actually see a lot of things. I mean, you see him going through a, a showdown with the devil, the temptation in the wilderness. He's fasting and praying 40 days. Uh, he's then coming out. He's beginning to minister and beginning to teach. It says in verse 14 that he returns to Galilee. He's, he's experiencing the power of the Spirit. News about him is beginning to spread through the whole countryside. There's this buzz going on. He's teaching in the synagogues. Everyone is praising him. So Jesus is really uh, launching his public ministry to incredible amounts of praise and accolades of people. Then he goes to Nazareth, which is where he was brought up. And on the Sabbath day, it says he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stands up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And then he unrolls it and reads the portion of Scripture that we will look at today, as recorded in Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19. And this is what Jesus says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I, I don't know what that was like when Jesus proclaimed those words, but what we see in Luke chapter four is he rolls up the scroll, he gives it back to the attendants, and there is a holy hush that is settled on that group of people as every eye is fastened on him. And then as if in answer to a question that they had not yet asked, he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What a powerful moment. May God add blessing to the reading of his word this morning. The first point that I would like you to see as we look at this and as we ask the question, which we've been doing throughout this series and will continue to do, God, how do I find my hope initiative? How, if, if I believe that God has purpose, Ephesians 2.10, he has things set aside in advance for my life and for your life, good works that he has designed for me to do, how do I find out what those are? How do I find out what my life calling would look like? How do I find out what my kingdom advancing work would be? What's my hope initiative? Well, today, the first point I want you to see that is this. As you're looking for your hope initiative, uh, we are called to partner with Christ in his hope initiative. That's a great place for us to start. If I want to know how do I advance the kingdom, how do I partner with Christ in his hope initiative? So I look at this passage, and I, I have to ask the question, how did Jesus see himself in relationship to the world around him. Now, there's a lot of scriptures you could look at, but I think this one today 
is, is probably one of the best ones because it shows us Jesus at the beginning of his earthly ministry. It shows us Jesus fresh off this spiritual showdown with the devil himself. It shows us Jesus gaining popularity, a lot of buzz. It shows us Jesus now uh, recorded in the New Testament, quoting the Old Testament, because he's quoting Isaiah chapter 61, and this is the things that he's talking about. Well, what am I here for? Jesus says, I'm here to bring good news to the poor. I'm here to bring freedom for the prisoners, restoring of sight, lifting of oppression in the favor of the Lord. So here's the joy that we get. If we're trying to find out our hope initiative, begin with the person and begin with the mission of Christ. Now, in some ways, that's complicated. In some ways, that's very simple. I want to start with my heart close to the heart of the Savior. I want to understand what his mission is so that I can understand what part he would cause me to play in it. Well, how do I do that? Well, first thing I might do is this. Look at the ways that Christ described himself in Scripture. Make it part of your study. And if you need a little bit of a boost, we actually did a whole series a little less than a year ago talking about the I am statements of Jesus. These were recorded in the Gospel of John and all about who does Jesus say that he is? Who is, who is Jesus? Secondly, uh, we could ask the question of, of this. What is it that Jesus says he was come to do? He says things like this. I've come to serve, not to be served. I've come to redeem and restore. He says in John 10.10, 10, I've come in to bring the abundant life. Uh, one of my favorite examples when I'm trying to understand Jesus' self-description comes from the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. And, uh, you know, the story of Zacchaeus, one you learn even when you're a little kid. So many of you have heard that Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and he was, uh, he was uh, waiting for Jesus, climbs up in the sycamore tree so we can see him. We just heard a message on this not too long ago uh, here in our church. Um, but, but the thing that strikes me is this. At the end of uh, the conversation, Jesus says, I'm going to go to your house. He meets with Zacchaeus. There is a transformational thing that happens in his life. Jesus proclaims salvation has come to this house. And then he says in verse 10 of Luke 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Well, this is a massive clue for us. What did Jesus actually come to do? He had a heart and a burden for those who were lost. In other places, it says he looks at the crowd and he sees that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, and he has compassion for them. So may Christ continue to elevate our sense of empathy as we look at our world around us. If we're going to understand and, and uh, discover our hope initiative, we've got to begin with the person and the mission of Christ. Well, if you study Scripture, here's what else you find. Look at the way that Scripture describes Christ followers. In John 20, I love this chapter. This is after the resurrection. Uh, the, the disciples are huddled together. Uh, the doors are locked because they're afraid. They're fearful. This is just the state that they're in at this time. And then Jesus comes and he stands among them. And he says, peace be with you. And he shows them his hands. He shows them his side. And, and the disciples begin to be overjoyed at seeing Jesus again. And then after this conversation, Jesus says to them this wonderful um, apostol uh, apostolic passage in John 20 and verse 21. It says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending 
you. And then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Again, think for a moment about the fullness and the fulfillment. We see the fullness of Christ, the the impartation of the Holy Spirit, and then being sent out on mission. So those who were uh, described as Christ followers are being sent out by Christ, John 20, 21. And then we see this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You can flip over there if you want to. I'm just going to reference it quickly. Paul says this, again, just this powerful passage of Scripture. He says, if anyone is in Christ, there's a, a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So again, we're getting some clues here. What was Christ's ministry? What is my hope initiative? God reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. Look what verse 20 says. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Underline that if you're taking notes. This is your role. This is a part of the description that will help you find your hope initiative. You are Christ's ambassadors if you're in Christ today. As though God were making his appeal through us. And then Paul says, not missing an opportunity, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. If you have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, if you have prayed to invite him into your life, that means you have a whole new identity, a whole new calling. And as Christ's ambassadors, this whole notion of hope and initiative, you start with his mission and you move on. You see, when when God gives us a biblical picture of who Jesus is, of what Jesus did, and what Jesus is doing, And make no mistake about it, he is active in this world today. We can embrace a call to join him in his redemptive work. And so we want to encourage you in this first first point. And then look at the beautiful combination of that work that we see right in the Great Commission. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. So if you want to find your hope initiative, begin with the person in the mission of Christ. We are partnering, partnering with Christ in his hope initiative. Here's our second point we can see from our scripture today. I want to encourage you, and I believe the Spirit of God wants to animate you to raise your level of expectation. And why do I say that? Well, when we look at Christ's mission, and and again, I believe Luke 4 is probably the best scripture to see the mission statement of Jesus. When we look at Christ's mission in Luke 4, when we look at Paul's partnership in Christ's mission, 2 Corinthians 5, you are Christ's ambassadors. When we look at the combination of Christ's mission and our commission, Matthew 28 that we just read, we do not see a passive picture of hope. We do not see a passive picture of hope. Again, we want to raise your expectation. We want to allow the Holy Spirit to animate your expectation in that level. Uh, Here's one of the challenges with this this little four-letter word called hope is that we overuse it. We say it all the time. In the English language, hope can be used as nothing more than wishful thinking. I hope you have a good day. Uh, I hope you find what you're looking for. I hope it doesn't snow anymore this week. Now listen, that is not not active hoping. 
That is not great expectation. That's just simply throwaway words that we all do, and we probably do it all the time. I want you to embrace today that the reason we are giving time, energy, resources, the reason that we're, we're extending this series to say, find your hope initiative, is that we don't want to simply say, well, we talked about it and I hope people do it. You know, that would literally just be the throwaway version of that word. Instead to say, no, we are actively hoping. We are active in insisting to say, if you are in Christ today, find the place where the fullness of Christ in your life will overflow to the fulfillment of His work. This is your invitation to dream big. Not just for, uh, not just hoping for the best, but taking a proactive stance. You know, this whole notion of making room for hope at our annual meeting this weekend, we took time to evaluate the, the hopeful and the forward-looking decision to extend our pastoral staff and to actually have an associate pastor to help us grow in the area of outreach. Well, why are we doing that? We want to make room for hope. We want to make room for the work of God. We don't want to just assume that it will happen, but we want to dedicate time, energy, and hours and leadership to that extent. Much in the same way that, you know, if you, if you are involved in, in church leadership, you wouldn't say, well, you know, we have this beautiful nursery and we hope somebody run, uh, shows up to, to run things in the nursery and take care of some kids. No, we, we plan for that. We schedule that. We develop that. We don't say with our worship teams, well, I hope somebody shows up to church this week that knows how to play a, an instrument or sing a song or lead us. No, we plan. We, we prepare. We get ready in advance. And so that's simply what we're doing here. We're making room so that God can take us to a new level. We want to show that we are serious about joining Christ in His hope initiative. This is all about raising the expectation. And I absolutely believe, church, that out of the fullness of Christ and by God's grace, we will see a greater impact for Christ and on His mission in our generation. One of the great scriptures that I love uh, to reference and that I pray for you often is Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, this, this passage has been really a hallmark of ministry. This is where Paul is, is saying, with all this transparency and, and humility and, and love that you see poured out here, he says, you know, I'm kneeling before the Father from whom every uh, family in heaven and earth de derives its name, and I pray for you, and I pray that out of his glorious riches that he, that is God, would strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Do you hear the fullness do you hear the fullness aspect? We've got to have something to overflow. Paul said, I pray that you would overflow with the fullness of God. He says, I pray that you would be rooted and established in love, that you would have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This was his prayer for the Ephesian church. So beautiful. And then he says this in verse 19, to know the love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. There's that word again. And then he goes on to say this in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church in Jesus Christ through all generations forever and ever. Amen. But church, do you see the excitement of this here? 
that Paul is literally saying, I'm praying for you that you would experience the fullness of God. And then out of that fullness, fullness fulfillment, just like we talked about last week, now I'm praying that you would experience His power at work in us. This is high-level expectation hoping. Why? Because Paul knows that hope is a life-giving, it is a forward-looking, perseverance-inspiring force that emboldens you to embrace a calling and to stand up to the powerful forces of darkness in this world with the life-changing power of God made perfect in your weakness. Wow! Church, if you want to find your hope initiative... Start with fullness. Invite the fullness of the presence of Christ and then think proactively, not passively, about your hope initiative. Lord, raise our expectations. That is our prayer. I want to look at our third point here with you this morning. It's all about now embracing the cost of hope. Now you'd have to say, if you were in the the presence, Jesus Christ comes in to your church or your gathering, and he reads a prophetic utterance and says, yeah, this is what I'm going to be all about. Sight for the blind, freedom for the oppressed, all of these things. I mean, this, this, is, this is great. And you'd have to ask the question, who wouldn't want this, right? Who wouldn't want this? If the mission statement of Christ were offered to our church, what would we say? I mean, think about it for a moment. I mean, literally, Jesus comes to us and says, look, this is what I want to do in your church. I, I want this to be a gathering. I want this to be a place where the fullness of, of, of God is experienced, the freedom of God is, is experienced, the healing of God is experienced. Everybody that I know in our church family would say, sign me up. Yes, that's exactly what we want. That's exactly what we're praying for. But there is a cost to count if we're going to get there. The thing that I realize, and this is, again, I'm, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you, is that if we want to go after the hope initiatives of Christ, we've got to embrace the cost of hope. We're going to have to fight our own inner tendencies towards self-interest. We're going to have to fight uh, and look beyond our own personal preference. I, I want to just ask you to think about this. Just Again, just dream a little bit. Get a little excited. Allow the Holy Spirit to stir in your heart a little bit through this message. But think about this in a practical way. I want you to imagine this church family 20 years from now. This church family 20 years from now. Now this is if the Lord has not returned, and I'm not certain that we're going to all still be here 20 years from now, but just indulge me. 20 years from now, the Lord hasn't returned yet. What would you hope to see? Now, some of you would say, well, I'm, I'm a grad student at Penn State. I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be, I've moved on 20 years from now. Some of you are saying, I'm 85 years old. I'm probably not going to be here. I will have moved on as well. I'm going to be with the Lord in glory. And you know, both of those things are true. Some of us will have moved on. Some of us will have passed on. And if the Lord has not returned, the question is, what do you hope we will have left behind? What do you hope for your kids? What do you hope for your grandkids? What do you hope the Lord would be doing here? 
And when you think about it in that context, I would guess that the great majority of us would say things like this. I hope this church is thriving. I hope this church is sincere. I hope this church is authentic. I hope this church is advancing the kingdom of God. And if you were to distill the things that you would hope for for this church in the future, it would look very much like the mission of Christ. It would look very much like His hope initiatives. So the question is, what would be the cost of us pursuing that hope initiative? I was very challenged as I was reading a book recently by Kevin Harney. The book is called Organic Outreach for Churches. And he speaks about uh, sharing with churches to help them kind of cultivate a greater sense of their mission, finding their hope initiative, finding their ways of being salt and light in the world. So again, this is a need, the need that all churches have, and, and most of us have a tendency to drift away from that. We need to be reawakened periodically. So he says, I'm speaking at churches, and I, I usually ask three questions, though there is not an exact formula for being a great uh, hope initiative type church. Um, he says, I asked three critical questions, and the first two get people really excited. The first question is this, does your church believe, honor, and follow the teachings of the Bible? You know, most people, most of us, we'd say, amen. That's what we want to do. We want to be people of the Word. We want to be getting our directives from the Lord. We want to honor and cherish what He has given here. We don't want to go against or beyond what is written. And so, yes, we want to be people who believe, honor, and follow the teachings of the Bible. Count us in. Uh, the second critical question is this. Does your church love people and long for them to know Jesus? And, and I think that's, a, I think that's a, a critical question for us to ask. And if we find ourselves saying, well, you know, people annoy me, or people are, you know, I find them to be difficult, and, and everything like that, and the idea of having more people coming around can actually be a burden. We may need to ask the Lord to, to animate some things in us and to give us His love for His world. Because a, a church that doesn't love people is certainly never going to be effective in sharing the hope of Christ. So those first two, he said, you know, people are, are generally very excited about hearty amens sort of throughout the room. And he said, then I always ask this third question, and so I bring this to you, church, today. Are the people in your church willing to sacrifice to the point that they will joyfully embrace change? He said at that point, there's usually a, an audible groan from at least some members of the church because the fact of the matter is none of us are terribly wild about change. Uh, if anything, in this last year, we have learned that change is hard. Change is tough, you know, and to try to be flexible and to try to be movement people and not monument builders, all of that sounds really good, but when you actually have to do it, it can be really really hard. But the question is valid. Do the people in your church, willing? are they willing to sacrifice to the point that they would joyfully embrace change? And this is a powerful challenge that I think we all have to wrestle with. And, and here's kind of the, the proof in the pudding that it's not always as easy as we probably think it would be. Jesus comes into the synagogue. He begins to proclaim things. All eyes are on him. There is a holy hush. 
But very quickly, if you read the rest of Luke chapter 4, you find that there is a massive turn in allegiance as soon as Jesus begins to challenge them in their thinking or press them beyond their comfort level. In fact, the gathering quickly moves from impressed to marveling to angry to murderous. That Literally, the, the chapter ends with the people getting up. They're driving Jesus out of town. They are literally looking to throw him off of a cliff. Verse 29. And then verse 30 says, Jesus walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So he was not daunted by their anger, but their anger was severe because he was asking them to make room for hope that they weren't ready to embrace. And so I would just simply ask you as we conclude this message today to ask yourself what I think is a hard question but a vitally important for, uh, question for us if we will be the church that will make room for hope, that partners with Christ, that raises our level of expectation and that embraces the cost. And the question is this. Do I really want the mission of Christ? Do I really want the mission of Christ or am I actually simply chasing a comfortable expression of my own self-interest? That is the question that as your pastor, I must gently but, but insistently ask when I preach from this proverbial pulpit. And it's also the question that I need to ask when I look in the mirror. So I would ask you today not to be flippant about making space for hope, but to come with great excitement and expectation of what God will do as he shapes us. So church, would you pray with me? Jesus, allow these moments to cause us to reflect on the beauty of who you are and the incredible mission and the incredible hope initiative that you began for us in this world thousands of years ago and are continuing to work out. God, cause us to be aware that we are ever closer to your imminent return, at which point the, the hope initiative and the, the sharing of Christ uh, will literally be no more because we will see you face to face and we will give an account for the things that we have done. Jesus, I pray that in this holy moment that you would cause us to lay down our tendency towards self-preservation and self-preference. Lord, and we repent of the times that we have simply pursued a comfortable expression of our own self-interest instead of the mission of Christ. And I don't say this as one who's figured it all out. Jesus, you need to teach me and you need to teach us. But I pray for an infusion of humility. And Lord, into humble hearts and lives that are waiting on you, saying, Jesus, you, you can literally do anything you want in my life in my home, in my church. I give you full control. Jesus, I pray that you would stir and awaken a greater stirring, a greater calling, and greater fulfillment of the fullness that you are pouring into us even now. We thank you for this moment. We thank you for your presence. 
We thank you for the hope that you are giving us, we pray now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.